Okay, quiet on the set, everybody. Stand by. Roll camera. Speed. Roll sound. Speed. Market. And cue talent. Hello and welcome. This week in production, we're still in Vegas. Woohoo! It's still NAB. <laughs> and we're holding strong. This week in production is produced by Art Aldrich. The thoughts and opinions expressed here are undoubtedly his own. You can reach Art at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com. This is Don McGee. To book me for voiceovers, please call 908 451 6760. I have Lulita and John Carrera here. And first off, I, I need to. I'm not going to apologize because it's not. It's not an apology. But after hearing the last episode, it was apparent that I was not fit to podcast <laughs> under my inebriated state. Well, it is Vegas, so I'm sure the listeners are more than compassionate to your dilemma. That that may be. I mean, it was it was a long day, and then we we had a, a meal. <laughs> we had oh, a we meal, had a meal, and we had uh, wine and then and then tequila. So uh, tonight, as we record this episode, we have I can't even say that we've been, really been drinking all day, but we're not inebriated. No, we've been pacing ourselves. Yes, but we are gonna. Just do a little toast to uh, the wrap of NAB 23. Cheers. Cheers to you, boys. And to you, listeners. Thank you for listening. There were some things that I took some notes of. I took a lot of pictures of things that I was interested in. Um, you know, some things that I think are worth another look. And I'm, I'm going to give out some specifics. But I want to hear uh, from John Yu and from you, Lou, as well. Um, some things that you thought are worthy of your dollars, perhaps. Well, personally, I, as I had, I think I may have said it, although as you've mentioned, we were, <laughs> the details are still fuzzy. Plus there was a lot of edits in the last podcast. I basically came out here looking for a new DSLR or a, a small footprint camera, 4k camera that I can use on my gimbal and for other purposes as a B camera in my workflow. I'm partial to Panasonic's Lumix line, and I think I will probably be moving forward with the S52X, which is not quite available, but I it seemed to have a pretty good um, specs, and I, I feel pretty confident about it. Already being an S1 user, I think I can migrate to that. But, you know, as I mentioned, the cameras are quite abundant on the floor and there really was no bad camera but i'm very comfortable with the panasonic workflow having used their products for many years and, and canon i mean i'm a fan of theirs and you know yes sony great products but i feel like to go to their line with lenses and learning their workflow and menu system probably not going to make sense so that is one definite thing i can say um, certainly audio, you know, Sennheiser had some new mics, looked like Rode had some new mics, although I didn't get to see them. Um, and then of course the gadgets and the little knickknacks and saw, as we mentioned, lots and lots of lights, which I know John but, will but probably But nothing comment. that you're buying. Um, I may se. pick up some of the, believe it or not, Zion, who- um, I don't know. believe it. All right. That's fair. But I, I got to say, you know, I have a couple of clients that actually get frustrated by the sheer amount of equipment I have. And I know I don't can't rate to your 
uh, amount of volume of equipment. But sometimes I need to do shoots that are very corporate, very simple, very stealth. Get in, get out. So whether it's a quick soundbite or an interview. I for, get in, get out, get paid, or just get oh, no, in and no, get we, out? Oh, no, no. These are very, actually very good projects. Okay. But, you know, when just, you have to enter checking. a, you know, a corporate facility. Oh, no, yeah. We're all good here. We're all good. And, you know, maybe. You know, the credit cards come in in a month. We'll, we'll, we'll revisit that <laughs> statement. But, um, you know, I do a lot of corporate work for other producers where their bottom line is we got to get quality sound bites from people. And we don't have a lot of time because we've got to interview a lot of people. And it might mean bouncing from facility to office to corporate park. And, you know, I'm going in there with my kinos and my um leds and tripods and monitors and it, quite often they really just want a camera a light and a microphone and i just i have a hard Two time turntables <laughs> i set you up so i zion believe it or not just to get this thought out had it, who makes gimbals who i and i have used their crane in the past um had some really nice lights now i'm not saying others didn't because i you know there's just so many booths and sometimes just based on your blood sugar level, you just kind of are drifting. So maybe I missed out on some other ones, but they happen to have some pretty nice, low-cost, very small LED lights that can be powered off of USB-C or their own rechargeable batteries. And they have little Bowens mounts with you know uh, light boxes on them. So there's a case for maybe six seven hundred bucks to have a nice little small lighting package that i can use in these certain situations didn't you have some problems with the uh, crane mechanically well i you know if i can be self-effacing it was uh operator error oh, okay so uh, you know nothing against them i i have jumped to a ronin um uh gimbal right now which i'm very pleased with i still have the the zion but i i'm a little more pleased so no no trepidation about build quality there's always a little bit of that, but for the investment, even if I use this on two or three shoots, I'll get my money okay. back, and I will make my client happy, not okay. lugging all the gear and dragging the whole operation down. Okay. So, I I would say those are my things that you're going to spend things money on. I will spend money on. You know, always there was an interesting um, if I do buy the S S uh, the S five two X. Um, That's a name that just rolls off the tongue. Yes, I know. Why can't we just... S52XB3Z. Why can't we name cameras like we name cars? I've always said that. Like Vericam makes sense, right? Um, anyways, um, there was... I, now I'm drawing a blank. I know, John, you might remember the name of the handle that had a little... Condor Blue. Condor Blue. I have a hard time remembering that. I, I never heard of them. But they make a grip handle that takes an SSD... Very thin SSD. Well, an NVMe blade. A blade, right. And that will then, rec you can use that as a handle and a recording and a re reader device on well, not yeah. just that camera, but others. So they have a handle that's basically an NVMe uh, host, and it has a USB-C connector. Yes. And it will connect to any camera that supports USB-C external drives. But they showed it on the... The uh, S54321 <laughs> X2 camera. Actually, it might have even been on the GH6. But the point is, it, it was pretty innovative. And especially with the S52X having higher bit rates and be able to record ProRes RAW. But you would have to do that to an external device. And that external device, I think, would be this blue condor yes it's a nice it's a nice little piece of kit it it gives you a secure place 
instead of hanging a drive or Velcroing a drive. Which or, we've probably all done. I know I yeah. have. Yeah. So, yes, I, I saw that, and that was in my, my notes. I'm actually looking at a picture of it right now. Oh, as, there we go. As, Maybe uh, you can post that on your... Uh, yeah, I might, might do that. Um, and just to wrap up, you know, I can only take about two, maybe about a day and a half in, I start to get a little woozy. Okay, Mr. John, I'm going to turn the mic over to yes. you. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? Good to see you. Good to be seen. So um, you walked the floor with us. You walked the floor by yourself. Um, what are you most interested in, if anything? What are you spending money on at... Uh, uh, based on what you saw at NEB? I was mostly, I actually wanted to see these inexpensive anamorphic lenses because all these companies are coming out of the woodwork making them. You know, um, it was actually, you know, anamorphic lenses was out of reach of everybody unless you were high end. Um, I'm just trying to find where it's going to fit in my my, Do you have a need for anamorphic lenses? I, I don't. I just don't know of a, a project that I can sell sell it with but it's just a beautiful look you know so you're you're thinking like you're gonna buy but but it's not necessarily a, a need it's more of a just you'd like to have them in your bag yeah i, I think i'd like to have that in my arsenal uh what was the, the the lens the lenses that you were looking at do you remember the well the company surrey i don't yeah. know if i'm saying it correctly um but they have a very affordable full frame set um you know i shoot with the sony uh fs7 i've had it for since it first came out and they have the e-mount so um i was thinking of picking up like just a 50 millimeter but they have a nice set they have like a four anamorphic lens set and um i just wanted to actually feel it and touch it and to see you know if it was worth you know it, it's affordable you know one of the lenses is like i think 1700 dollars msrp um, so I just wanted to feel it first. So that was one of the, my goals of NAB is to, I wanted to feel how it was built. Cause if it was really too cheap, I probably would have skipped, but it was actually built very solid. Yeah. And they had it demoed on a couple of, uh, Sony cameras, um, uh, digital SLRs and it looked beautiful. You know, it's just finding that project. I, I bet you I could find a project for it. It's just selling, selling it, you know, with that, that uh, anamorphic look, you know. It's interesting you say that, you know, I I was looking for some lenses myself, not anything uh, as sexy as an anamorphic uh, E-mount prime, but I do have a, a Canon C70, and I have one lens for it, and it's not, a, uh, it's not an L-series lens. It's just the 35-millimeter F1.8, you know, standard Canon RF mount. But I went to the show hoping to see some uh, 24 or uh, 35 mil uh, primes from the L series in the RF. And I was shocked to hear that Canon uh, has no immediate availability on these lenses. They don't know when they will be available. No timeline. So Yeah, that might be, like, you told me that before, but might be the manufacturing aspect of that the the science isn't there because it's a it's a mirrorless camera basically they're making those lenses for a mirrorless camera so the back of the lens to the sensor is now yeah it could closer. be it yeah. could be something like that though yeah. you know 
I'm not sure, but yeah, yeah. no no lenses uh, in my uh, purchasing yeah. uh, immediately. What else have you looked at that you you think you might buy? Um, I was also looking for lights. Lights has kind of taken NAB for the past couple we've been to. Um, it's all about lights, and you see the hype at Aperture. You know their booth has always got a, such a following. You know, and then we walk around the the show floor and you see other companies making ones that look exactly like aperture it does make you kind of question like what's going on here right you know i know you do pay for the name too but is the technology the same it's really hard to say and uh that is definitely something that we all wonder about uh whether you know you can get away with I've always found, in my experience, I try to buy the best in class that I can afford. Um, it just serves me better in the long run. I don't find that the, I usually, when I buy something cheap, unless it's like literally a throwaway, I usually throw it away. It doesn't last. Um, a few things that I saw that I thought were, you know, really, not not that I went looking for them, but... After seeing them, I said, oh, that I could find a use for that. And, and I think we all went to the booth around uh, the same time together. The Axibo, Axibo, A-X-I-B-O. It's a, they call it a cinema robot. Oh, right. What was their slogan? Uh, uh, robotics, d d democratizing robotic yeah, technology? Demo yeah, something like that. If you've seen any of the uh, Mark Roberts, you know, uh, Cinema Crane robot that they show at, at the NEB, and, and I know some of the ex, you know the fancy YouTubers have bought them to do, you know, iPhone gadget shots, but they're basically robots that you can keyframe and they do super smooth moves, and they can boom and jib and roll, and they have six axis control. Well, this little company out of Toronto, and I mean little company, it's like three guys, but they built a um, pan-tilt-zoom gimbal head with a tracker uh, that is built like a tank. I mean, I think you got to feel it. I was super impressed with the build quality, and they showed um, like a telescoping jib arm that had you know the roll and the pan, the tilt everything together they were they were looking for feedback but they brought this to NAB they built it themselves and they're pricing it very reasonably like the the slider with the pan tilt zoom uh, head on it was like three thousand dollars like very reasonable the the thing that was I thought very cool about it was that not only does it have the you know the programming and the keyframing and and the control, it has motion tracking as well. So you could use it in a virtual set environment, and it will track the motion. Which and and they show they have a plugin for Unreal Engine. And if you've known, I don't know a lot about virtual production, but I'm I'm reading up. I'm trying to see if I can push a job or two that way because I want to explore it myself. But Unreal Engine is the, the the virtual volume that they use to display the angles of the background, and this thing has a plug-in and a motion tracker built in. So you know, for a small amount of money, you could actually get some you know feet in the door for virtual production. So I thought that was probably the coolest thing 
that I saw at the show, and they are they are like a bootstrap company, and I, I kind of admire that. Um, and and you could almost miss them if you didn't walk to oh, the they were back, all the way in the back to the back extreme of the central hall. You would you would miss them. If I could jump in here, you just sort of yes, both please. you guys sort of talked about something reminded me of years ago. You know, like you may want to explore you know some of this technology and because you're interested in it and then you talked about john you know anamorphic lenses and it reminded me kind of when 24p and video was coming out you know i know there was the dvx 100 which sort of broke the barrier on that and then they came, panasonic came out with the sdx 900 that had 24p and dvc pro 50 again for you younger listeners that was back in the sd days but i know i sort of took it upon myself to start pushing that in doing things to show clients that then kind of got me more work and, and new projects. So I was sort of using technology to drive business, which, you know, what comes first, the business or the equipment? It's a dangerous, it's a dangerous edge. It is. And, edge. and we've all sort of chased gear, hoping that would lead to something. And sometimes they were terrible investments and, and other times it led to something else or just another look or style that you could present to a client. So just getting back onto the the equipment and some of the things that we liked, another thing that I thought was really cool was the Porta Keys monitors. Oh yes, agreed. That's something I'm very I interested was in. surprised. I, I had heard of Porta Keys but not really too familiar with them. Um, but they showed some very nice monitors. The one I was looking at was an ultra bright twenty two hundred nit seven inch screen uh, with SDI for about $900, which is a nice, you know, package. And it looked good. It had, um, you know, the, the visual tools that you want, false color, focus in red and, you know, zoom and things like that. So no recording, didn't record, but honestly, I don't need every monitor to record. I think we've been, um, sort of forced into having that by default, whether we want to or not. And I don't always need my monitors to record. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, oh, I think... Oh, by the way, did you see Atomos? Oh, yeah, I, I didn't get to their booth. Yeah, I, I did. I saw Atomos is very, very small. Um, and they kind of discontinued um, some products. Um, I think they're only keeping the uh, Ninja V. Yeah, yeah. So they kind of downsized a little bit, and they. Yeah, but com oh. compared to previous NABs, yeah, their their booth's gone down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Atomos used to be one of the big big vendors back in the uh, heyday of two or three years ago. They used to have one of the biggest booths at NAB. Yeah, so they had kind of a little downsized. So. I don't know, you know, obviously the times kind of show, you know, with all the corporations and stuff like that, you know, downsizing and streamlining production. So the West Hall was sort of the um, new technology hall. Um, I found a couple of companies there that I, I didn't know about. Uh, I saw some companies that I did know about. One of them was um, OWC. I used a lot of OWC uh, gear, their their little drives, their Envoy Pro drives for me have been uh, tremendous. Their Thunderbolt three, um, you know, NVMe drive uh, two or four terabytes, and they're fast, twenty two hundred megabytes a second. So I wanted to see if there was anything new. 
And I met, I don't remember the guy's name, but he was one of the, you know, principals at the company. We were talking about what they had new and they were showing some docs and things like that. And I said, oh, you know, this is great. Looks like it has, you know, some interesting ports. What is the power output of the, of the USB, you know, C Thunderbolt port? What is the power delivery? He's like, oh, 80 watts. I'm like, oh. Okay, I go, my MacBook Pro needs 140 watts to drive it, to charge. He goes, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was a very frank answer. He said, you know, if we went with the bigger power supply, we would have to have a different um, compliance, and it would price us out of the marketplace uh, in this, you know, product category. So 80, 80 watts it is. And, you know, that's something that could be very easily missed on a uh, product sheet, you know, so... That's um, in the fine print. <laughs> it's in the fine print. I ran into this company in the West Hall, uh, Simply is the name of it, S-Y-M-P-L-Y, and um, I had never heard of them. I'm not sure really how long they've been around. They had a very friendly, knowledgeable gentleman uh, talking to me about their direct attached storage. And I don't know if you have experienced this or not. I had a hard time over the past two years finding large uh, Pegasus disc arrays. You know, the Promise Pegasus 3. Like, it was hard to get. Now, I don't know how available they are. I haven't looked in a few months. But this company had a very nice-looking direct-attached storage, priced better than Promise. Now... Promise has been great for me, very reliable, very quiet. Um, you're hard to knock them for that. I could knock them for some other stuff, but uh, for direct attached, they were, they were pretty good. But this looked like it was very well built, very competitive in price, and you know Mac friendly. But they also had a very cool shared storage solution. Now, I've talked on this podcast many times about my troubles with uh, Smalltree and my shared storage uh, solutions that I have from them. This seemed like a very advanced shared storage solution for up to eight users plugged in on uh, 10 gig or 25 gig Ethernet. Uh, reason Again, pretty reasonably priced. You know, worth, I, I don't know that I'll buy right away, but, you know, we, in searching for my client for some drives, we purchased some non Pegasus drives. Won't stay at the company uh, now because I don't know where the problem really lies, but fair to say that we bought two large uh, disc arrays from another well known company and they uh, weren't reliable. And you can't, you know, you can't run our business on drives that are not reliable. So maybe this simply will be something that's worth a, a look. Um, anything else you guys want to add into the technology product? I guess it's all a blur right now. Just it's everything sort of swirling, you know, the camera cages, lights, batteries, microphones, monitors, cameras, lenses. Um, you know, I, it's... I, this has nothing to do with your question, but I did notice, you know, there's just these obscure companies that make these very, you know, 
limited products, you know, for the masses. You know, there there's the whole and you know, Art, you and I have talked about this this morning about you know business strategy and how companies run and you know the old days, you know, when Sony's and Panasonic's are selling forty, fifty, hundred thousand dollar decks, and now you know these companies are selling twenty five hundred dollar cameras or. You know, even we were looking at Black Magic, massive booth. Oh, you know. yeah, that reminds me. Thank you. Yeah, I, I. It is fair to say this, and we'll get into the attendance numbers in a minute. The Black Magic booth was as crowded as ever. Packed. I mean, really, you know, an impressive amount of equipment. I mean, I actually just and it wasn't NAB, but only because I needed them right before NAB. But I would have bought them at the show if if the timing was different. But I bought two Ultimat HD systems to, for an upcoming job. But I went there and I spoke to a guy who was like the product trainer for Ultimat. And he gave me some critical information that really made a huge difference in me having success or fair. And I haven't I haven't used it yet. They're in a box. Actually, they're in a rack. They're in a half-built rack case being deployed in a couple of weeks. But like that kind of knowledge at NAB helps to sell products. Well, explain what that is. I wasn't, wasn't too sure about that. Right. So Ultimat is, is a technology that's been around for you know a number of years. Blackmagic bought them. You know, I don't know, five, six years ago. But Ultimat used to be high-end blue and green screen hardware. And I remember doing a job for Remington Firearms, and we had to shoot this this gun. But we had to do it on, on a green screen because we had to do motion control, and, and you know, we couldn't build a set. And, and the only way that you could key it was using this high-end Ultimat system. And it was, you know, probably hundreds of thousands of dollars back in the in the 80s and then you know they had hard times they tried to release a software only version uh i think it was good but i don't think it really wasn't there a plug-in for yeah. like avid or yeah that was even... the software yeah, version right, that okay. was for a few different uh nles never really caught fire they probably went bankrupt i might be paraphrasing black magic acquired the assets they have now re-released the hardware at a very low price point, like $895 for an HD ver version with SDI, even less if you want HDMI. And you can use them for, you know, very clean, convincing keys, like better than you can do on Zoom with your, you know, virtual backgrounds and all that kind of nonsense. So... Um, but I spoke to this guy and, and I certainly, if I had spoken to him and hadn't purchased his conversation would have, you know, made me purchase confidently. Uh, also Sony booth, we should say was also oh massive, very big. I mean, very crowded. They haven't downsized at all. And, and, um, you know, in terms of attendance, I just got the attendance numbers, the official attendance numbers. For this year, 65,000 and change. I did a little uh, digging. Um, last year's attendance was like 54,000 or 53,000 attendees. So definitely more than... Uh, well, I think as we've gotten further away from COVID, 
people were hungrier to travel and get out here and be they, seen and see things. Yeah, I think so. If I were to ask you, either one of you to guess what was the high watermark for NAB attendance, what would you say? All time? All time. 110,000. 110,000. Give that man a tequila. Ding, ding, ding. I'm going right to the blackjack table. All right, I'll Give see you guys. Give that man a tequila. And that was back in like 2005, I think, was the high water mark. Oh, that was – so that was probably like around when P2 was coming out or some real radical changes. Right. Right. So attendance has definitely trended downward. Yeah, it's up this year from last year. Exhibitors – Definitely less than they have been in in the previous years. I think there were 1,200 exhibitors this year, up from like 900 last year, but down from, you know, maybe 1,600 at the high water mark. And I think it's a fair question. You know, is there value in the show? And I know that's a loaded question because we're only looking at it from our little uh, end user standpoint, and I could probably ask that question to exhibitors and other people who have other interests in this. But for you, Lou, you know, is there value in NAB for me personally? For you personally, well, if for if as I said, if I, I'm always reinvigorated about the industry when I come out here, so if if I get just another charge to want to be step my game up a little bit or learn one little thing that makes my work a little bit better than yes. And it's a change of scenery and we get to come out here and see people we haven't seen or hang out with, you know, our group and, you know, have dinners and a few drinks and golf and get away just for four or five days that like, yes, that's worth it to me. Um, but, you know, I pride myself in trying to stay relevant and on top of things and technology. And has that worked out? I don't know. I'm still going. I, I, I can only go by that. You know, when people say, well, what's your experience? Well, I'm still making a living doing this 36 years later. So I don't know, doing something right. But, you know, I enjoy it. I've, I've been a camera geek since I was 10 years old. So it started, you know, back. But, but here's the here's the question. Yes. Because like, I, I agree 100% with you. There's a certain part of us, probably everyone in this business that has a little passion for the gadgetry yeah. and things yeah. like that. But- as you were just saying, like, you know, you have, uh, there's for you and for me and, and Johnny probably for you as well, there's a social component that we enjoy about coming to NAB. Mm -hmm. Strip away the social okay. component. Strip away, you know, any of the stuff that's not related to the show. Would, I mean, like, do you feel that coming to the show only brings value to you in some way versus you know, getting your information digitally online or word of mouth or something else aside from the show? Well, I, I don't know if I can say yes to that. I think there are so many resources now, so many, you know, people with podcasts or, you know, YouTube channels. And I, frankly, I get, I, I learned a lot of, of what I know about some of the newer tools I've owned from, from YouTubers and even some of the younger guys like Christian and Nick and Brandon, you know, I we were hanging out with them and they were like, oh, there's that guy I watch all the time on YouTube. I, I want to go up and say how much I like, you know, and they'd run away and go say hello to him. So, you know, these guys are half our age, but that is what it is. And I guess I really could, you know, get away with not coming here and still being very educated. And 
you know, we even talked about, you know, some of the manufacturers, I won't say who specifically, were showing their product and their cameras, and they weren't even showing the footage out of the cameras. Like, there were no monitors, they weren't set up in studios, so they were more or less, and you and I spoke about this this morning, just relying on word of mouth or YouTubers to promote their product. Yeah, we sell it, we make it, but, you know, go watch our end users and they'll sell it to you. John, what do you feel about the value of the NEB show as an attendee? I think that there is a value, you know, basically I'm talking about myself because I stay current with everything. And a lot of my clients know that I come out here um, and it just shows a vested interest into the craft. Um, in the big scheme of things, is it a huge payoff? No, it's just fun. Uh, I've made relationships too with different companies, people in different companies. So I like to keep that going too. But the main goal for me is like to tell my clients, I'm up on this. I'm looking what's next. You know, because they don't do that. They actually look for me. You know, you get a good client. They want you to tell them what, what's next to do. Right. So so this is this is your 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 business case for the show is for for R and D and things like that. But do you feel that you couldn't do that? online or maybe are you not like the online guy mm. like i'm just curious yeah. as to where you find i definitely think you can you can do it online um it's there's some kind of novelty too to come here yes so um like the monkey we have in the corner yes yes it's it's, it's 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 fun if no one's ever been to an nab show it is fun you know there's a vibe in vegas you can't you know argue that it's just um I like to know, like to tell my clients, that's the huge, that I'm up on things and I'm very vested, uh, you know, as opposed to another person who, who just watches online. You know, I tell my clients, oh, I'm going to NAB, see what's up, you know, what's new, you know? So I'm always, I feel like that's a, that's kind of my value of coming out here is keeping up with what's going on and actually communicating with the manufacturers as opposed to just going to their website. What if, you know, and, and this is what I, this is what I wrestle with in my brain because my brain lives in like the, you know, the creative world, but I also have this sort of business component. I'm always thinking about the business angle, the money angle, things like that. And I think that in the, and I, and I could be completely wrong. And I'm not saying this is factual. It's just the way I'm looking at things in the old days, in the, in the seventies, and the 80s, you know, there were probably fewer um, exhibitors, but the items that you were there to buy were probably 10 or 100 times the cost. And I think that there was a value in, you know, being at a show and, and in being able to sell a $250,000 paint box system or you know something and it, granted there weren't the online resources that we have today but the show was built on companies selling expensive things because the cost to exhibit at the show was expensive and now it seems like we've turned this you know corner i mean it's it's not a corner we've been on this downward slide of product cost capability goes up and the um, I would have to imagine, and I again don't know this for a fact. I have to imagine the profit margins are less. 
just knowing what I know about business. If you're selling something for $250,000, you're going to have a better profit margin than if you're selling something for $250. I could be wrong. That's just my gut feeling. But can we all agree that you can buy an incredibly beautiful camera for $5,000 or less? Or mostly less. Right? And, you know, maybe the iPhone has something to do with this, too, in terms of the dumbing down of the business. I I, I think it has many, many factors. I don't think it's just the iPhone. I think it's the nature of how we watch TV and how TV was produced and gate kept and now it's democratized and then it's you know my opinion on that is not relevant here now in this conversation but i just wonder if the way that this show was built because it was built on one concept which was broadcasters with expensive gear to be sold and those relationships and that's certainly changed as time has gone on, I think it's less now about the broadcasters and it's more about content creation. Mm. And I just wonder if the show has reset itself because I know I know some vendors personally who exhibit at the show and I know what it costs to put a booth at this show and it's not cheap and everything costs money. And if the vendors feel like they're not getting value, they will move. And we've seen them move to to you know not exhibiting Apple, Red, yeah. was, Tiffin, it, was Avid even here? Avid, I don't know if Avid was here to be honest. No. I don't know. You know they were they were one of the the you know the cornerstones of this. I mean they probably right. still are, so, but like so as far as a booth, right? So there are companies that definitely have stopped exhibiting. Because of the economic factors of NAB, GoPro, Go, uh, GoPro, Go, GoPro right. is barely in business, I think, <laughs> yeah. at this point. But yes, these are companies that used to have big, big booths, big, big investments, and they were not able to justify the expense. And I'm just wondering now if we're going to see, because I, I find the show valuable as, a, as, a, as an attendee. I do find it for all the reasons that we all talked about. I don't know that that's enough for the vendors, the exhibitors, mm. to keep coming back and spending the money they have to spend. There was one, you know, one audio company that joked like, you know, he had to justify the four and a half million dollars it cost to exhibit at NAB, and he needed to scan my badge because it all mattered about the metrics. And I may never buy anything from him, but he still had a show that we were getting traffic to the booth. Oh, I've definitely experienced that from several people. You just be walking by and they're like, "Oh, let me scan your back." It's like I'm I'm not even a viable. Oh, no, let me let me get it. It's like it makes you wonder is it just they got to get a they got to show that they scanned a badge? Is that to justify their existence? I I think that is definitely part of it. Like, you know, you're hired to scan badges if you haven't scanned Five that now again, like, well, are you just scanning badges for the sheer number? Yes, I think they are (laughs) because there are many times that I was certainly not going to purchase anything from a company that I looked at. I was just looking, yet they're scanning and they want that that metric. I mean, I don't think anybody's sort of pre qualifying 
a, a customer or a potential customer. They're, they're just not. you're a body. You have a badge. I'm scanning you. They're not. And and this this is all just a big unknown, right? Like who knows where this will wind up. I, I don't know that it'll keep going at the, you know, if it slides more and more, because I know there's people who are pushing, you know, these hybrid or these virtual events. I don't know that this, you know, will get to that point or not, but I just think that, you know, take advantage of it while it's here because it may not be here, uh, you know, in the future. And, you know, just a side note, I came back to the room tonight and I have a project I'm working on and the client sent all these notes that made no sense. It was all, it, had, it was irrelevant when it, when it comes to technology. So no matter how far the technology goes, how advanced it goes, how good it is, the client still wants their message to be a certain way and it's very frustrating that things were not done properly and i'm not saying i hadn't didn't have some fault some flaws in that but it, it's just none of this what i saw this week has would have any bearing on this project so it goes back to the business side of it and all right i can buy all this great gear but can i be profitable in using it yes a hundred percent and i will i will wrap up this podcast just with one more thought and it's more of a sentimental thought um, but it's it's still, I think, relevant in the sense that I was thinking back to the years when Apple had a huge presence at NEB, and there was a real sense of like Final Cut Pro community, mm. and like we were, you know, in it together. We were using this tool, and we were showing how great. And they used to run this, you know, big press conference on Sunday night, and they would show footage of projects that were cut in Final Cut. And it was like, you know, as you said, Lou, motivating. It got you pumped up. It's like, you know, and now, of course, Apple's not in it. hasn't been in NEB for years. And does really, <laughs> Final Cut seems like it's just, you know, on life support with Apple as far as, um, you know, new features and, and updates. I mean, they've been updating it, but it just, like, you know, we're at the show and DaVinci Resolve is getting all these cool updates. Mm -hmm. Adobe Premiere is getting all these cool yep. updates. And there's just nothing from Apple nope. on Final Cut. And but, it let's, does but, but where is their core, you know, revenue coming from? Selling hardware. I, I understand that. I understand maybe, that. The, maybe the App Store. But. I, I, I understand that. I don't like to hear it. I don't like to think about it. No, I, I'm with you. I mean, look at I abandoned Final Cut. You know, yes, and went we've to never Adobe. Forgiven you for that? I know. Well, it's like I can't be perfect in your eyes. But but the you know, as a Final Cut editor, I do feel a little neglected by Apple, and especially at this show where they were you know king of the mountain for a while. And I mean, I remember they had like a hundred demo systems, right? So you could you could. Um, Try out Final Cut. Oh, yeah. You know, everyone was well, like waiting what, in line. What's, to what's ironic is that the Apple booth, the Apple booth turned into Black Magic. Booth yeah, pretty and, much. And the, it's basically the same space now. Right. It's just all Black Magic right. and there's no Apple. But, which, again, in a life lesson, nothing ever stays the same. It's like nothing lasts forever. So yeah. it's, if you take, you know, this is life advice, just roll with it. Enjoy right. what is in the moment and know it will never 
last forever. And you know, you showed me a picture today that you had on your phone of the super meat. Hmm. What, what what used to be called the super meat, which was a Final Cut centric event originally. And you showed me the picture from the launch or the introduction of Final Cut Pro 10. Mm -hmm. And how many people were in that room? Jam-packed at, I believe probably, it was Bally's. Yeah, probably probably 5,000 yep. people. Going Final crazy. Cut Pro editors waiting to see. like, And that that is gone. Like We don't have that community anymore in person. There's, yeah, maybe a few people that gather. I saw the Facebook group that was trying to. But so uh, romantically, I missed the old NAB show. I missed the, the heyday of Apple. Well, and the this I mentioned this in the previous podcast. There, it, like that was buzz. Like there was a buzz. Yes. Like people couldn't wait to hear what was yes. coming out. And But again, it's where we were in the technology uprising. Right, and we talked this morning about how it's sort of leveled off. Yes, this morning's breakfast should have been a podcast. It should have been, but we didn't feel like <laughs> we lugging, had our mouths full. We didn't feel like lugging the recorder down. <laughs> All right, for this week in production, I'm Art. You're Lou Lita. You're Johnny Carrera. Thank you for joining us. We'll Twip see from you. the strip, baby. Twip from the strip. We'll see you next time. <laughs>